worked very hard on, on fitness and um, and the running game. That's what kind of led me to, to want this dream of being a, a racing driver. There's no point in time and except standards of excellence. We will deal with the Talton Cup if we're in it and we'll, we'll certainly give it every bit of respect. There's no feeling that beats playing for Ireland. My God, I'm going to do everything that is possible to bring us there. This is Sports Beat Extra. Continuing on with today's sporting content and focusing on the Munster Club Senior Hurling Championship quarter final. We're also looking at the split season that has divided the GAA and the fallout from a dramatic weekend in the WNL. As always, I'm Sean Connolly and you're very welcome to Sports Beat Extra. Five counties, one big sports show. Sports Beat Extra. Very pleased to be joined by Dermot Keyes, GA writer and author to the show. Dermot, it's been a while. How are you keeping? Yeah, Sean, great to see you face to face finally. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. The split season came before the annual Congress in 2021. What we saw was probably a diluted sort of form during COVID. It was hard to get a proper sort of representation as to what we were dealing with. Yeah. Now we're back in regularity with bums on seats. We're getting an awful lot of mixed reviews in terms of the overall benefits or I suppose the lack of benefits from various different populists across the GEA. Well, I think this, I mean, Sean Moran had a very good piece in the Irish Times a couple of weeks ago and it's worth looking back, if anyone can look it up, about three or four weeks ago, basically pointing out the fact that when the GEA make a decision, they very rarely go back on a decision or reverse something they've done. Um, going all the way back to the implement, the innovation of the backdoor system and everything that's followed since. Um, with the exception of the Tommy Murphy Cup over the last 20 years, whatever innovations have been brought in by the GEA have remained intact. So I think those who are opposed to the split season are going to have to get their heads around the fact that I don't think this is going to change anytime soon, primarily because the administrators at the top of the GEA at the moment, with Larry McCarthy as president, are very much focused on promoting, it would appear, uh, the club season and trying to do so at least as much as they can on an equal footing with the inter-county season. Now, was he wrong to say at both inter-county All-Ireland finals that now he basically said, we'll now get on to the more important part of the GA year, the club season. I think that was a very odd message to give mm. on All-Ireland final day. The most important days of the GA year are the inter-county days for the men and the women. Um, and the club obviously means more to players, but from a public perspective, I think there's no doubting that All-Ireland day for hurling football in Camogie is number one. Of course. Now, when it's played, I, I've never understood why it was so dragged out and protracted the way it was. You know, the days of having All-Ireland football final replays in mid-October. Like, thankfully, they're gone. Um, Inter-county players, I mean, we used to have national leagues getting played in the winter directly after the championship was finished. And then the club, the club games fighting in between the provincial competitions to be played. But thankfully, that's all been untangled. And that was a mess for years and years and years that a lot of people writing and talking about the GA for years thought would never be addressed. But they've actually grabbed the bull by the horns and done something positively and proactively here. And I think moving the, the inter-county season into the first half of the year and the club season more or less to the second half of the year makes complete sense because finally players, especially those playing for the clubs likely to feature in the latter end of the club championship season at, at provincial level, they know when they're playing and more importantly, they know when they can actually go on a holiday. That was never the case. That was generally not the case. And if someone went away for a day, a couple of days, a week, 10 days, might be told, you're going to miss this game, so don't expect to play the next game. That pressure has now been alleviated from the the club player, uh, whether you're playing at junior level all the way up to top level at senior. And I think what's got lost here is that the most important element of the GA, first of all, is membership. Secondly, the players. 
and uh, you could probably put referees on an equal footing with the players because if you don't have rest, you don't have games. But the fact now that players can actually plot out their year properly and take all the rest of their lives into account um, is very, very important and positive. That was never the case for most of my uh, life. And now it's finally been cleared up. I think people have been so wedded, particularly, I think, uh, national journalists, I think, appear to have been the people who've been crying the most about the shifts in the season because basically they're, they're, they get to July, late July, early August, and suddenly, oh, what do I write about now? I think that's where a lot of the criticism has come from. I think if you were to look at the attendances for the Inter-County Championship, I don't think there was any noticeable decline in any of them this year. Well, that was actually something I was going to say to you. In seeing like a road Hegarty had said a few months ago, that below in Limerick, that they're seeing record attendances. Yeah. Even with the wet weather and everything, that they're still, they're seeing massive, massive, and I know, look, there's an anomaly below in Limerick over the last few yeah, years. Yeah, of course. But they're seeing record attendances down there. They're seeing bumps and seats regardless of the weather. So it's obviously boosting from that sort of general as well. I know there's a lot of talk about week in, week out, the physicality of it, mm. the bodies and the intensity. But the game, even at an amateur level, has been viewed in so many perspectives as a as it's, it's professional level athletes. When you look at these guys, they're huge, huge oh, yeah, men. Yeah. I suppose them having the regularity and the frequency that you're talking about, coupled with the fact that they know they're playing every single week and they're getting used to that sort of physicality. Yes, they're going to pick up some nicks. They're going to pick up a few bumps here and there. But that's all part and parcel of the game. Absolutely. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, as well, I mean, like we hear a lot about player management in rugby and obviously we're back into the thick of the, the autumn internationals now and what have you. But like for players actually, again, knowing that they have a, a set out schedule of games that goes in tandem with their training, it actually makes it a lot easier to know when you can recover. Mm. So, and I think the elimination of a lot of replays is a positive thing. I mean, from a financial perspective, it's obviously a, a big drawback for the GA. But again, players will know when they go out on a certain Sunday um, that, that this, this match, this tie will be settled today. They're not thinking about the fact that you're not going to have a Mead Dublin 1991 situation again where four games are played. So, and I actually think that's a help. So, um, you know, you look even like online, you know, the way that coverage is starting to shift and, you know, GA Go is going to become something a lot of us are far more familiar with now due to the change in the broadcast rights. But uh, even like online when it comes to like uh, t- uh, Twitter grabs of just say that incredible moment of skill that David Clifford produced mm. last weekend. A lot of us are paying attention to certain games around the country now. Strokes here winning in Roscommon a few weeks ago. Um, these are games we would never in this part of the country, have paid a blind bit of notice to. Now, are you going to get massive amounts of people watching those games on TG Cahar? You're not, but you're still providing it to an audience uh, games that were never broadcast previously. So, again, if it's about marketing and packaging, I think things are going in the right direction. I, I do think the Sky deal, I'm surprised the Sky didn't get that, the continuation of that deal. Um, it seemed to be working pretty well. I think a lot of people in Ireland who had Sky Sports we're getting something additional anyway. How many people are actually buying a Sky package just to watch the GA games? I would say a very small amount of subscribers across the country. Um, and you're not reliant on high fiber broadband, which you're going to have to be to watch GA go. So I think, you know, uh, we're, we're, I think, you know, the discerning GA supporter is not going to watch every single match that's on. But the fact that there is more games now available, um, I think that can only be a good thing. Because if you go back 30 odd years when uh, the AIL was thriving in Ireland and was getting lots of TV coverage, a lot of the Munster team that ended up winning Heineken Cups were featuring at the tail end of that coverage when RT really gave it a good boost. So uh, there's nothing to suggest that the same can't happen um, with club games in the GEA. I'm not saying they're going to be going to go professional or anything like that, but 
you know, more promotion means more awareness. And you only have to look at it, the, the, the huge boost in coverage for Camogie and ladies football. That's transformed oh, the yeah. profile of those sports. And the fact that there's going to be a coming together administratively as well at the top of all that can only be a help. So I think the split season's working. I think a few guys working in certain newsrooms in Dublin have got to get over that. And um, I see it as a positive. And I think the most importantly, from a player's perspective, they know exactly when they're going to be playing over the course of a year. And how can anybody be against that? Yeah, perfectly valid points. And I suppose when you focus on the game itself, proud Waterford man sitting in front of me here. <laughs> Big game tomorrow. Yeah. Ali Gunner, Kieran McDonough. There's so many narratives in this oh, quarterfinal yeah. monster. Yeah, huge. I mean, like I suppose... Uh, Bally Gunner for so long the bridesmaids at provincial level having lost nine Munster finals I think like since 2001 um, they finally appear to have cracked that nut um, they've won two of the last three Munster finals they're in they're obviously the reigning All-Ireland champions as well they're completely dominant in Waterford they look likely to you know uh, surpass Mount Sinai's record of nine in a row um, in the not too distant future but of course Mount Sinai and everyone else will have a say in that when it comes around again mm. But uh, home advantage as well, I think it does count for a it's lot a this thing. time. It is a big thing. And, you know, Kilran have only come off, this is like a week after winning their first senior championship in 37 years. Obviously a huge emotional, terrible tragedy um, that the club had in recent months. Um, I think they'll have had a very uh, lively week at home. Very hard to curtail celebrations like that, especially when you've gone that long without winning something. It's bound to have some little bit of an impact. Um, but I'd imagine they had to knuckle down fairly quickly come... Wednesday night uh, to get cracking at it again because they'll want to go out and give a good account of themselves um, against Ballygunner. I do think it's it's asking a lot. I think they will have uh, uh, expended a lot of of uh, mental and emotional energy even just to get to the senior final given what had happened in the past few months. If they can go up another level um, tomorrow in Welsh Park it, it'll be a hell of an achievement. I mean um, they have to go into it as underdogs but they'll be delighted going in as underdogs. Um, you know plenty of tip teams have come down and done well in Welsh Park over the years but but Ballygunner have a a confident dare I say it semi-arrogant streak about them which has been borne out by how consistent they have been they're used to winning most games they play most of the games they've won they've played in Welsh Park this is a de facto their home ground um, so all the odds would suggest that Ballygunner ought to win is it going to be played in a tornado the weather's been so unpredictable lately I mean they won the senior championship uh, final um, in a dreadful conditions against Mount Sinai um, and again, it means it had an up for a superlative performance with Stephen O'Keefe, particularly in the first half, that exactly. could have got away from them. Absolutely. So I think, um, you know, uh, Kilaran will say, let's get the ball in around that Ballygunner full back line and see what we can do. And can Saki pull out the same rabbits out of Pats again? It's, you know, big ask to be that consistent, but he's been a brilliant goalkeeper for years. But you'd have to say, uh, if you're balancing it up in terms of muscle memory at this level of provincial championship hurling, none of the Kilaran players have the muscle memory at this grade that Ballygunner have. So uh, all the odds would suggest that Ballygunner ought to win tomorrow. And Tipperary's used to being underdogs. No, certainly and, not. And I know in this particular case, it's slightly different, obviously, because you have a, a powerhouse in Ballygunner. Given everything that's happened and the charge and obviously the tragedy surrounded mm. with such, as you said, first in 37 years, it's going to be a cracker. And obviously result on the day as well. That's a huge thing because they didn't have that liberty in the, in the county final. Yeah, yeah. You so, know? you know, but still to go, again, we're talking about week by week, mm. You know, th- th- there's a huge emotional outpouring when you've actually won a title um, that can sometimes drain you in a way that uh, lactic acid doesn't. So if they can pick themselves back up and be competitive around the 45, 50 minute mark, then, you know, if it's, if it's narrow going down the stretch, of course they're going to be in with a chance. And like it's worth pairing out as well. Like Tipperary were toe-to-toe with Limerick for 80, 85, 90% of that game in the championship as well. So it's not as if 
uh, they don't have the equipment to go against the best, given everything that's going with uh, Kieran McDonald's this year. Um, there would certainly be, dare I say, at a certain level of romance with them going off on a run and going Absolutely. deep into the season and up in Crow Park. And I suspect they'll have a huge following in Welsh Power tomorrow. So I think, you know, and you cannot underestimate um, the power of the voice from the stand. So I think the Valley Gunner supporters are going to have to put in their, their top and sport as well tomorrow for their course, team. They will, of course. <laughs> now, I suppose yourself, from a personal aspect, you have a busy few weeks ahead of you promoting the, the launch of a second book. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, we had a, a great night on Wednesday night in the clubhouse in Mount Sign for uh, Martin Oog Morrissey's autobiography that I had the, the honour and the pleasure of working on with Martin Oog over the last uh, 11, 12 months. Uh, Martin was part of our greatest ever team here in Waterford that won three Munster Championships, a National Hurling League and a Rockless title and of course the Lee McCarthy Cup in 1959 when last, unfortunately, when last we won um, the biggest prize in the game and um, I think if anyone had told the boys playing that day after they won the replay against Kilkenny that we wouldn't have won in All-Ireland in the 63 years that have passed since they'd have been amazed. I think particularly amongst themselves because that team between 57 and 63 should certainly have won at least one, if not two more All-Irelands. Um, in 57, they unusually went into a final against Kilkenny's favourites and didn't win. And um, the game got away from them the last few minutes. And in 63, a, b a bizarre set of circumstances uh, to score six goals in an All-Ireland final, becoming only the second team in the history of the All-Ireland Senior Hurling Championship to score six goals in a final and not win um, against Kilkenny. And uh, both those defeats to Kilkenny, of course, additionally rubbed salt in the wounds from a Watford perspective. And uh, if you were to ask Martin Og, and I've had the pleasure of getting to know Martin and his family over the last year, uh, he looks back on with huge regret that however good that team was and however much they achieved, that they didn't win two, three, if not even four um, All-Ireland Championships um, because they, they were a fantastic team. Um, They're an instinctive team. Um, By today's standards, they would be quite a physically small team. I think maybe Philly Grimes who was an all-round athlete who could have been just as easily been a professional boxer as uh, or a track and field runner as a, as a hurler. Philly was the most physically imposing player in the team and he just about came in around six foot. There was no one else in the team around that height. And Larry Guinan, who I had the pleasure of interviewing for this book as well, um, Larry said, um, if the team were going out today in the physical dimensions that they had then, um, they'd be getting blown away physically by the limericks of this yes. world. Um, but uh, Og is adamant if you were to apply modern training methods uh, to the natural ability that both he and everyone else in the team had he reckoned the team would, would give everyone out there a good game today I mean he had a tremendously uh, powerful set of arms uh, and bearing in mind how heavy the slitter was in the 50s and 60s in comparison to how it is now when players are scoring points from 120 yards out soak up the water and everything oh yeah he, yeah he could he could put a ball over the bar off the ground with a stroke from 80-90 yards there is nobody playing hurling now at inter-county level given a wet, heavy slitter from 60 years ago who could do that. Uh, Joe Canning in his peak, I think, or Eamon Corker in his peak at Tipperary or Dublin couldn't have done that. So, uh, or even our own Ken McGrath here, Rastin Gleeson. So, um, to get to find out more about this team, um, considering I was born 20 years after Watford last one in All-Ireland, has been a huge surprise and honour for me. I didn't expect to be working on a book like this. And then when the opportunity came along, when Liam Hayes of Hero Books contacted me, I nearly bit his arm off and um, it was uh, just from start to finish this is something that never really felt like work I think probably because I knew bits and pieces about this team and what they achieved but I didn't really know any kind of meaty stuff because I didn't know any of these players they were all much older men than I was and 
even 20 years ago when I was on my work experience in the Irish Independent, I was lucky enough to get to write a big piece ahead of Waterford's All-Ireland semi-final with Clare. So this would be 2002. So this was the first time Waterford would have played in Croke Park as All-Ireland senior, as Munster senior champions, I should say, since 1963. And I got to interview four, uh, four men for that piece. Uh, Frankie Welsh, who was the captain. Tom Chasty from my own parish in Portlaw, Ballyduff. And uh, Seamus Grant was the county secretary at the time. And uh, it was um, all the men I spoke to for that piece. Um, they're all dead now. Uh, so for me to get them down in black and white then and for me to be returning to that particular piece 20 years later and getting yes. to talk to Martin Oak and Larry and lots of other people and of course the association Martin Oak has with Glenn Moore and Ballyhale Shamrocks where he had great success as a trainer. Um, it was a huge pleasure for me to tap into all that and the initial reactions were pretty good and it's a great time of year to have a book out as well. So it is. <laughs> this is the time of year most people buy books. So and hopefully wh- and where can people pick it up? Um well it'll be in, in, it's it's going to be I know it's going to be online um by Monday. It'll be available by online on Monday through Amazon. And uh, it's in all good bookshops around the southeast. Um I'd look forward to going to the book centre to actually see it there yeah, in the yeah, shelf. Absolutely. So uh, it's a twenty euro uh, paperback it's and twenty five hardback and it's ten euros an ebook. So um, I can't wait to read it. Yeah, um, it's great to have it out there and uh, fingers crossed that lots of people will, will pick it up and buy it and enjoy it. I'm sure they will. Look, it was a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sean. Tracking sport across the southeast. Sports Beat Extra. Very pleased to welcome Wexford Youths manager Stephen Quinn to the show. Stephen, in what was one of the most enjoyable WNL campaigns in recent memory? And ultimately, it was disappointment on the final day against Shelburne. Now, having had time to analyse the meeting, what were your main takeaways on the day? Yeah, I suppose look, if if you said that the end of the season we'd be, we'd be in Wexford and it'd be in our hands and we have a kind of a I suppose a cup final really like that's something that everyone looks forward to on, on a Saturday night and looks sometimes in games and, and back in a season as well some days it's just not your night really and had a couple of opportunities and maybe when we were on top in Paris that if we took a goal and we had the game it would be interesting but seeing the goal just for half time kind of killed us we had to come up and score two and then just a little bit open and they're kind of kind of light like they've only conceded 13 goals that season so it's going to be hard to score the first that's so once it went 2-0 then we'd score three so it was just an uphill battle but well, the girls girls were excellent um, there was no um, lack of effort or desire it was just on the night it wasn't our night um, we'll dust ourselves off now and reflect back on the it's been a tough season but in a good season overall which was um, different really good elements within it Games are made up in moments and you have that first half opportunity where Kira Rossiter had that chance and unfortunately just went over the bar and then sort of in the blink of an eye toward the end of the half you have that shot from Alex Kavanagh saved by Maeve Williams and Jesse Stapleton was there to, to pounce on the rebound and I suppose the time that the goal went in it was just right place, right time and it really was a sucker punch, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was the other way around for us. Like, it's a great time to score. Um, but on the flip side, then it's a, it's, a, it's an awful time to concede, and we probably have dealt looking back in the game, and we had dealt with a lot of shells throughout us, and we knew what we're what we're expecting. So kind of a shot like that from distance, and then just a follow up like it was it was disappointing to concede um, just before half time, and then looked at the, the quality in the second half, and they, and they scored a couple of other goals, but like we had to go out and try and score goals again, so the game was very very open and. And it's like that, then um, you have the capability of scoring and kind of goals. I know ultimately it was a four place finish and there was disappointment in the cup. When you look back on it all, what was your overall feeling when you consider the cost of the injuries played as well? We were 
reflect back in the season how it's a little bit easier to reflect back now after the time got passed but um, I think it was a really good season for us on the, on the side of developing young players and giving them opportunities and if we had pre-season where we didn't have any of our senior players because much of them were still kind of injured from the year before so like we would have played some pre-season games with just our rankings we went to play Cork I think it was just with Rossi and Dolly and it was just all our Rest of our nineteen played against Cork in pre-season. Like, and uh, I just seen that from the outset. It was that was kind of the season was going to be needed. It was going to be the opportunity to to get in some of these nineteen and give them game time. And between injuries and later on in the season with big injuries, important players, and then throughout the season where some of the key players were missing, and we even saw some of these sixteen, seventeen year olds stepped up and played senior football and played more minutes than than the previous year. Like, and they really dug in and. That, that's a sense of pride in itself and that's what the club was about and it was an opportunity they got and they took it like, and they worked really, really hard this season and players that came in um, just just trying to get them into the DNA of what Wexford was about with the family and that was ever present at the end of the season when the season was over you could see the, the unity between the, the senior players and, and the underage players and that's that sense of pride and, and look Wexford it's, it's about winning as well like four players and a, and a Knocked out in the semi final in the cup, that that will hurt a lot. Um, but when you look on the other side of it, like some really good players coming through, and there's going to be a day when all these, when these players are going to have to be key players, and, and players are going to have to step up and, and play every game. And, and it's just great to see that that potential is there for them. And it, like, most teams, you don't get the opportunity for the younger players to really step up. And that's probably one of the real advantages of this season. And, that would take away from. How important do you feel the introduction of those underage leagues is benefiting the game as a whole in the country? Oh, it's massive. I can, I, I've been in the club three years now and I was only to 17 I think we're in the second season and there was no 19s um, at that time. Like, so now even and the senior players with that state as well it's, like, that's, it's just a massive benefit for clubs because these players are coming in at a young age probably 15, 16 and being in that environment of, of a kind of professional club um, doing the right thing and um, step above what, what club football is and they're learning learning their trades learning that things aren't always that easy and there's going to be times when they don't play and they do play and they're getting all that they're getting prepared for senior football really and then obviously within the club then they have the values and, and everything like that and they're trying to instill them for the players so like some of these players are playing against some of the top players in the country for the last three four years where before you were trying to bring players in that maybe played in, in, in the senior league or that maybe played underage football and you bring them straight into the senior team. So there's a bridge there now with 17s and 19s. And even next year, like 19s will be, will be nearly like a reserve squad for us. Like, and they'll be coming on a Saturday and they'll be playing them on Sunday then as well for players that don't play. So it's a massive benefit, especially for 19s this season where they, they travel with us on a Saturday and didn't play. They, they got a game on Sunday. So they were all getting game time while being in the senior squad and being in that environment with around senior players. So it's brilliant. Like, and probably down the line next year, too, it'll be 15 as well, which will really bridge the gap. And we have a 15 development already um, over in Scotland at the moment. But that's the way it's going to go. And it's going to go younger age groups. And it's just getting players in with, with really good coaches in good environments and then giving them the best opportunity to develop. I suppose the benefit to the youths is there, but it's benefiting all the clubs and ultimately that can, can breed success further up the line as well and you only have to look at someone like Michaela Lawrence who made that switch mid-season from Treaty United now Treaty obviously had a difficult season but even this 
introduction of the youth development is even benefiting them, that someone like yourself and the club can then benefit with the likes of Michaela coming in. It's it's just wonderful across the board for the country, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's definitely like, and, and I suppose that's what kind of in the last while we've only a reputation on bringing in these young players, high potential players, but giving them the opportunity. Um, so like players come in and, and like Michaela is a great example. Michaela came in and she unfortunately got an injury just before, before she came in. So she came in and worked hard and then different things. And when she got the opportunity, she went in and, and played really well. And she's looking forward to next season where she can be one of her pre-season with those like back. So sometimes it's tough coming in halfway through the season. But you know, for, for them, top young players want to come in and, and really put challenge themselves in the senior environment. It, it's brilliant because I don't think we've been in a lot around before that. And I see young Mayor Russell came in and I didn't expect to play as much as she did. And so like she, it, she, I think she played 24 games out of 27. She's a new in the club and is only a young young player as well. Like, so it's, it's great for these players to come in. And, and it's just what I really like is the, the attitude and the application they have. And they want to improve, they want to get better and they want to be challenged. That's it, and I suppose the integration into the senior squad, as you made mention too, you have to touch on Ellen Malloy, who's been obviously been nominated for Player of the Year. Now, among many, just how good was Ellen this year? Well, Ellen was excellent, and Ellen, Ellen is a kind of a player that even when I suppose things are tough and maybe it doesn't look like our day, Ellen will pull out a little bit of magic and, and score a goal, and she's 16 goals before her injury, and she probably could score a lot more goals than that, like we've been up there for top goal scorer like, but um, she just she's a young kid but she just works so hard and she's a, she's quite a role model some of the older players are role models but for, for all these majority of these younger players you see Ellen so young and the amount of work where she does she's up early before training everything so she's massive for us like, and, and look it was it was unfortunate with the injury and, and things that happened like, but, uh, she deserves to be recognised um, as a nominee but I don't think she recognised the player of the year because she's outstanding. I know she didn't play a lot of hard season, but she's she's our player of the year anyway. I just want to touch back on something that you made mention to because obviously it's it's huge for the area. The trip that you currently have over to Glasgow, it's all a part of the link that's currently been created with with Glasgow Celtic. And you have the under fifteen academy girls squad over in Glasgow to play the Celtic Academy and also have some time around the area. Yeah, no, it's brilliant. It's something that had been in the pipeline for for the season and for the year and a lot of work from the whole academy right and Alan our, our chairperson played that with Celtic we kind of we're looking at maybe doing a, a camp at the staff inside of a one and a half even academy runs one the nice club season on the 13th and 15th and then we decide this year to run an academy on the 15th team so they'll be playing a collective together and playing a couple of matches and maybe from clubs all around the South East and um, travel up up to Carlo IT or FEPU Carlo and, and train together and in the Vatican Academy was the trip here to Glasgow and it's the most Glasgow in the place on the 14 team and an under under 16 team so two different groups of 30 girls over here with um with the coaches and a lot of her and committee and and staff and it's just, it was brilliant like it was what a nice they played two matches one after each other and just the standard was, was, was excellent and the work away from the younger players and desire and just really, really good. Um, it helped me, I suppose, after the loss of this season and, and not winning and seeing these young players that the season a new players and the crop of players that are coming through, like and just being top class and everything done this they've not not want to beg top professionals and stuff like that. So, so getting that at a young age and seeing that environment and 
And then they, they got training sessions from um, the, the Celtic coaches as well. They were done three training sessions in a match over here. So brilliant for them. It's tough and they're tired, but it's brilliant. Like, they have another session today and they're going on a tour in Celtic Park. So we would have watched the women's first team train and um, women's first team train yesterday morning. And that's checking with the with the manager. So it's a really, really good trip and it's something that we'll, we'll look at soon every year and that's it thanks ever so much for your time Stephen as always I won't take any more of it I know you're busy and uh, the very best Brilliant. appreciate all the effort thanks very much five counties one big sports show sports beat extra that's it for this week's show it's been absolutely brilliant spending the last three hours with you as always you can reach me at sport at beat 102103.com Beat Anthems is coming up next, but right before that, I got something for every club and sporting society in the region. Club Focus with Eco Solar Energy, the solar experts you can rely on. Make the cleaner choice. EcoSolarEnergy.ie. How do you fancy winning a grand for your club? Beats Club Focus is back. Each month, I'm going to visit a club in the region. I'm going to give them a chance to take their place in the limelight to feature on air, online, and across all of our socials. At the end of the 12 months, one of the lucky clubs is going to bag €1,000 bursary. What's even better is that winner is going to be chosen by the public. So that's going to give you a great opportunity to attract new members to your club. Beats Club Focus is all about championing you and the great work that all of you clubs do for your local societies and your communities. So if you want to get involved, it really is as straightforward as visiting beat102103.com forward slash club focus. You can apply and I might be speaking to you very soon. Club Focus with Eco Solar Energy, the solar experts you can rely on. Make the cleaner choice. EcoSolarEnergy.ie